Thank you very much indeed, Brian, for that kind introduction. So um, I'll be sharing the presentation today with my colleague Sarah Hauser, who um, is has a, a long background in um, business administration, but she is also, to her credit, in third year vet school at Munich um, at the moment, so and doing very well, hasn't yet failed an exam, so I'm very proud of her. Um, so I apologise in advance for my voice. Um, I've been sucking on lozenges all morning, but it hasn't done anything um, any good. So as Brian quite rightly said, um, we have there is a there is a huge um, clinical case um, for the, the benefits of EBVM. Um, if there's anyone in the room who doubts the the clinical case for EBVM, I suggest you take it up with the RCVS knowledge. It's a bigger question than I've got time to answer today. Um, but when we first started started embarking on this project, um, I did a little bit of a look, and I you know. It, put into action the, uh, the, the EBVM pyramid and I was very, most enthusiastic that somebody somewhere would have done some sort of business, built some business case for evidence-based medicine of some description. I wasn't fussy. I was happy for human medicine, dentistry, physiotherapy, anything, veterinary medicine. I didn't care. But unfortunately, what I found was very, very, very thin on the ground. I found two papers, and if we if we start to become purists about the idea of what is a paper, these were pretty weak. They were they weren't testing any hypothesis. They weren't using any sort of qualitative research methodology. They were really commentary pieces. Um, so I started to get a little bit frightened. Um, but what these two pieces did talk about, um, and they were in human medicine, is improving client care through accurate, timely and clinical, uh, clinical information. They focused on waste reduction in the, in, in the medical business um, and um, improvements to um, patient engagement. But they were very, very strong in noting the damaging effects on customer service from taking a purely financial position on evidence-based medicine. So with this, with this lack of background and knowledge um, on the issue, it really called for quite a complex research design. Um, so we, we took an exploratory and confirmatory phase, which, was, which Brian alluded to it um, in his kind introduction. But um, because this project was very, very generously funded by our CVS knowledge, um, what we wanted to do was do exactly the right thing. And we, we used um, uh, the, the, the skills of Claire um, at the at the CVS knowledge um, to, to write a knowledge summary um, to systematically survey any um, knowledge that was available um, to us. We then conducted some interviews, we'll go through the results in those in a minute, and then we finally did a survey um, to, 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 to test, um, to empirically test the um, exploratory findings. We did get ethical approval from the Royal Veterinary College, um, if anyone's interested in that sort of thing. <clears throat> so we're all above board so far. So let me just very quickly talk about the the um, the knowledge summary. Uh, expl um, explored um, two databases. Um, our um, exclusion factors were um, a, the, if there was no link between EBVM and business, commercial or financial benefits. Um, we define benefits and um, business benefits as benefits to the veterinary business, not to a farming business and not any epidemiological benefits. Um, and also we had to exclude um, non-English -langu non language papers. Sarah, of course, is um, bilingual, but I am not. Um, 
poor, poor little Australian. Um, so the inclusion factors, um, any link between evidence-based practice and non, the non-clinical um, benefits of EBVM to veterinarians. Very quickly, to have a look at the, the, the papers that yielded, we got 122 papers, um, but with these exclusion factors, they are very, very, very quickly whittled down to nine papers, a, a demonstration that the evidence is very, very, very thin on the ground. So um, our, knowledge, our knowledge summary, which of course is available, you can download it, um, open access from the RCVS, from the Veterinary Evidence website, but just in case you haven't read it, I'm sure a lot of you will have, um, um, no, there were no papers that provided evidence of any commercial benefits of EBVM, veterinary medicine. Um, there were suggestions about links between the, the, between the practice of EBVM and better commercial benefits such as client satisfaction, client retention and low produ lower production costs. Um, but again, no empirical testing, just comments, suggestions. And so essentially this exercise, while very, very interesting, was largely inconclusive. So that moves us on to the actual, the, the more empirical phase of the, um, the, the project. So we started off from this exercise, we started off with two research objectives for the project. Number one, to identify the range of commercial benefits of EBVM to veterinary practices. From our exercise, we, we came to understand that they're very, very, very broad. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and from the findings of our first objective to develop a subsequent confirm confirmatory study and um, that will provide a baseline of performance and demonstrate the commercial benefits of EBVM. So moving on now to phase for the interview phase, um, we did some we, we developed an interview guide and we piloted this on um, two um, first opinion um, colleagues in um, first opinion small animal medicine vet veterinary practice. Um, and once we'd made the necessary changes to the interview guide, we then recruited um, our participants from the, the RCVS knowledge chair group, the, the chairs of the knowledge groups within RCVS knowledge. Now, um, people who are, are, are very quantitative in their thinking, you, I am perfectly forgiving of you for thinking, oh, that's biased. Well, with qualitative research, we want bias. We want people to tell us, in this case, that, that, that the range of issues, why there is a business case for EBVM. In this particular situation, we don't want people saying that there is no business case for EBVM. It's rubbish, it's a waste of time, it's just a, a frivolity. We didn't want people to do that, not at this stage. So we wanted to interview people who, um, who were going to tell us all the goodies, who were going to tell us the good stuff. Um, the, the interviews were conducted um, much earlier in the calendar year in person and via Skype, and the <coughs> excuse me, and the data were transcribed um, and analysed in in vivo. Um, just to give you a bit of an overview of the people who contributed, we had si we conducted 16 interviews, and these people came from all sorts of, all sorts of backgrounds: um, small small animal first opinion practice, exotics, farm animal, equine, not for profit, um, laboratory animals, um, exotics, we had someone from with a nutrition background, um, two-thirds of our um, sample were men, um, we had, everyone was a vet bar two people, so we did include um, people um, 
from the breadth of the veterinary profession and the, the, and the people were aged between 26 and 64 years of age. So there was a great um, span of um, experiences. So our results, the first question we asked is how do you define EBVM? <clears throat> now this was, um, we, we, we asked this question in the first instance to warm people up to make sure that the people who we were talking to are on our same page. Great news, yes, they were. Bad news is I don't have a hope of telling you about this, that particular results of this particular question in our 35 minutes we've got together. That's a whole separate talk in itself. So I'm just going to skip over that, but I'd love to talk to anybody a little bit later um, about how people um, in the interviews define DBVM. In terms of clinical benefits, nobody mentioned finance, nobody mentioned cost, nobody mentioned um, earnings or revenue. The benefits focused, the, the, there were five themes that emerged. So increased in standard of care, an example of a quote, we can give a reliable top range service. Client satisfaction, saving the client money, perception of value, the client's perception of value, client appreciation, and this idea of overcoming the unknown. Client retention came up as well. A sophisticated relationship as the client's trusted partner rather than a service provider. The, the moving, moving up that scale from being a service provider or possibly even a stranger to being the person that, yes, when my, when my animal cat, dog, cow, horse, sheep, is unwell or is there some sort of preventative means necessary, this is the person I go to, not only because they're good at their job but I trust them as well. Reputation is another theme that emerges. Superior approach to veterinary medicine. So vets are good but these vets are better. Um, a trusted clinical practice, reliable procedures, and this idea, and, and essentially, and in this intangible value. The other one, which I really loved, I have to say that this was my personal favourite theme that emerged, was the idea of confidence, employee engagement, confidence in clinical decision making and dealing with clients. With all the work that, for example, that the Vet Futures Project is doing, this really warmed my heart. Um, we had some. We also also asked about the um, the barriers to the wider adoption of EBVM. Very similar. I hope uh, from the previous presentation. Um, I think it's quite intuitive now. It's so common is the idea of time, the time available to actually conduct this research, the resources available, and indeed an industry culture, an industry culture of I already know this. I already know. I already know how to do a cat spay. Who, why, do, why do I need evidence to suggest that there's a better way to do it? I already know how to put in a catheter. It's, why, is there any, why, is, why is any evidence necessary? Um, so increasing the adoption of EBVM. Encouragement from line management, believe it or not. And the idea of investment. So just to conclude the, the results of this first phase, um, we asked the question at the end, cleverly, at the end of the interviews, is there a business case for EBVM? Overwhelmingly, people said yes. Um, and remember, they didn't talk about finance, revenue, income, cost, anything like that, but they all said, yes, there is. But I particularly like the, 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 one, a part of the response from interview 14. 
If the business case implies that you want to make money or improve profitability, no, there is not a business case for EPVM. No, it's an additional financial cost. I think it's well worth paying and investing in. But if you expect a, expect a good £10 worth of effort in and get £11 of benefit out, it's not going to happen. I think it's not at this stage. And I, and I, I worry about this project putting the cart before the horse at this early stage of EBVM in this, in this industry, in that it might be a little bit too early to try to be identifying improvements in revenue, improvements of income, improvements of profit. Um, okay, so that was the, that's an overview of the knowledge summary that we conducted and also the interview phase. I'm going to hand over to Sarah now, who's gonna to talk to you about the, um, uh, the results of the survey. Um, yes. Thank you, Sarah. We've just finished crunching the data. So it's hot off the press. Yep. <coughs> so um, we did the survey. It was an online survey, and we actually got amazingly 407 usable responses. Um, as you can see here, some of the demographics, there were 60% women, 40% men, 45% um, um, were working in a suburban practice, <laughs> Um, the overwhelming majority was working in small animal practice, um, so 78%. So we know it, it is a bit skewed towards the small animal, um, uh, small animal practitioners, um, but we then did test that if that had any statistically significant impact and we didn't find any. Um, so just uh, leave that as it is. We know that there are more small animal practitioners, but um, also the others didn't really it didn't really matter in terms of outcomes. Um, we did have the employment statistics as well. So the majority of people who answered were vets. Um, there were also some vet nurses and others. I think there was one vet student and one vet nursing student. Um, most people work full-time. Um, some work part-time and a few were not employed or just picked the other option. Again, most likely to be the students. 50% uh, of the participants were employees, 24% uh, owners, and 16% the joint partners, and other, again, those were nurses in um, managing, um, managing practitioner roles that just identified as other. Um, there were also, uh, most of them worked in independent vet practice, but as you can see here, there's also corporate vet practice and academia. So what we did ask those people is, do you practice EBVM? 70% uh, said yes, which again is probably more than you would find if you, if you asked all vets, but if you're gonna take time to answer a survey about EBVM, then you're probably also likely to, <laughs> to already think about EBVM and be practicing it. 4% uh, said no, and 26% said they were unsure. So we then grouped the ones that said no and those who were unsure together as those who don't actively practice EBVM. Um, our rationale for this was that if you're not sure, if you practice EBVM, you're probably not actively practicing EBVM. Uh, we then did test 
all of these um, and a few other factors if they were statistically significant. So for example, we checked if, if you're female, are you more likely to practice EBVM or not, which wouldn't make any sense. And so none of them were apart from uh, the academia bit, which again seems to make sense that if you're a vet in academia and you want to publish, etc., you're that's probably more likely that you practice EBVM. But none of the others were, and that's why also, if we work in equine or, or mixed practice or farm animal, that didn't have an impact on whether you practice EBVM or not. So that's why um, I'm not so worried that there were so many uh, out of small practice that answered this survey. So then we did ask a few questions, and this was all the findings that we got out of the interviews, so then we wanted to test them with a large sample. So this actually refers to how people not define EBVM, but how they live it, um, how, how EBVM, what do they do in practice. So most people said they performed a literature search less than one month ago in order to influence clinical practice. Um, people are most likely to spend about two to five hours per month uh, researching the literature. They have access to online research platforms. Um, keep that in mind because there's some interesting findings about that later. They also um, say that they practice vet medicine that is based on current research. And um, they say they actively seek opportunities to learn about EBVM. What was also interesting is that most, so 49.4% of people said, uh, did not agree with the statement that I was taught how to practice EBVM at university. But those who were <laughs> taught how to practice EBVM at university were also most likely to practice EBVM. So for me, that was one a big finding that really you have to get in there early at university. If you teach it, then people are more likely to practice it. And also all of the other findings, those who did practice it were more likely to agree. So they spent more time researching, they um, performed the literature, research, uh, literature search more frequently. Um, they were more likely to have access to online papers. So then we asked about the clients because that was something that really strongly came out of uh, the interviews. And most people agreed that EBVM provides the best value to the client. It's, it's a method to build trust. Um, it helps to overcome the unknown. And um, clients appreciate the extra work that is put into a case. And the first, few, the first three statements Again, those who uh, practice EBVM were more likely to agree or strongly agree with the statement. The last one, the clients appreciate the extra work. There was no difference, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I guess clients always, or vets perceive that clients always appreciate the extra work that you put in. What was also interesting in this one is where we didn't find any clear evidence. To me, that actually was a bit more interesting than the intuitive ones. Um, so there was no clear evidence if clients are likely to go somewhere else if we practice EBVM or not. 
there was no conclusive evidence that EBVM provides any sort of competitive advantage and we don't know if EBVM saves the client money. But the last uh, sentence I hear is that clients are unaware of EBVM. So I actually think that's the point. <laughs> um, clients don't know about EBVM, so how are they going to how are they going to choose someone else, some other vet who practices EBVM or not, if they, they don't know? And again, there was 76% of vets believed um, that clients are unaware of EBVM, and there wasn't a great difference in those who practice and those who don't. So I actually think that is one opportunity. Um, and also, it would be quite interesting to see um, if EBVM gets more out there, if clients become more aware of EBVM, how that would change. What I thought was one of the most um, interesting findings, and to me also a bit surprising, is that employee satisfaction across the board was just really big. So 88.4% um, of people said that practicing EBVM makes employees feel like they have provided the best medical care for their patients. It gives more confidence and um, it also provides with an inspiring and intellectual um, challenge to the job as a vet. So it really that was across the board and all questions um, that we asked to employee satisfaction really <laughs> hit it home. That, employees like EBVM, so people like practicing EBVM. It, it makes them happy, it provides for a, a challenging workplace. The other thing we found um, were the barriers to EBVM. Again, we took, we took that out of the interviews. So that to me was also a little bit surprising as in we did find that time was a clear barrier, um, that the fact that information isn't freely available and also that uh, clinical practice is often based on anecdotal evidence. So those were all very clear findings, which I did say the thing before about PubMed. So 60% of people have access to something like PubMed, but here 60% say that information isn't freely available. Well, they may just be paying for it and not like it, but um, they do have access, but it, apparently it's still a problem that it's not freely available. But there was no clear evidence in a lot of the other things. So this was where either people disagreed or were unsure, they chose the neutral ground, was we don't know about the quality of evidence. People seem to choose the neutral ground. Well, some evidence is good, some evidence is bad. Um, also, it wasn't really clear that at the university there's only eminence-based teaching. Um, people also didn't really think that the application of EBVM is ignoring clinical experience. People also disagreed with the fact that EBVM is impractical. They did not think that there was any loss of clinical autonomy. And also, interestingly, they felt that they had enough training um, to find the evidence and solve 
clinical problems. And I think that's interesting with the talk before where there was so much emphasis on skill development that here actually people seem to be quite confident to be able to, um, to practice ABVM. And then just my last slide before I hand back over to Liz. We then looked at how we wanted to overcome the barriers. Um, so we asked out a list on, and to rank it from one to five, one being the most important, five being the least important. Um, so it kind of the average course, the lower the better. So most people wanted training opportunities. They wanted to attend journal clubs. Now we saw in an earlier slide that 78% of people or 70% of people do not attend journal clubs, but apparently that's really important. So perhaps they want to attend journal clubs or they really like the opportunity. Um, then the third one was discussion forums, uh, then paid time for research, and then the last one is encouraging from the line manager. Now, as Liz said before, that was something that came out very strongly out of the interviews, and we were quite surprised that that was the last on the list until we realized that that was everyone and 50% of people in there were owners and joint partners. So we read it that um, by, by employees only and their actually encouragement from the line manager uh, was joined second with journal clubs. So people really still want training opportunities but they also, they also want encouragement from the line manager. Back to you. Thank you very much, Sarah. So, um, just some out just to, to very quickly um, finish off because I can see that there are people bursting to ask some questions um, about this project. So, um, like I said a little bit earlier, our, our um, knowledge summary has been published um, on the, by the RCVS Knowledge. Um, of course, we have our presentation today. Um, we've also been invited by um, the SPIVs and MP. M VPMA Congress in January to present this data. They're very, very interested in it, so I was tickled pink um, to receive that information. Um, and also we'll, we'll not only have a report to the RCVS knowledge about this research, but we'll also publish the full findings, we'll try to publish the full findings um, if the reviewers like it in the, um, in the journal as well. So just to finish off, don't have very many slides to go, just some conclusions. Vets and vet nurses are more likely to practice EBVM if they have been taught how to do it at vet school. Very, very, very interesting so, case. So we at universities are in a prime enviable position to grow this in the industry. Um, EVBM is a way to provide value um, and to and build trust with clients. This is something that I hear talking about and written about in the um, in the vet press all the time. This is another arrow to the um, to, uh, to a quiver that we can um, that we can build upon. Employees who are practicing EBVM are more likely to find their workplace inspiring and to be intellectually challenging. We're in in the veterinary profession, at least in this country, we're trying whatever we can to keep vets vets practicing veterinary medicine. So again, this is another way to keep 
to keep everybody um, inspired and active and loving what they're doing um, as, as practitioners and clinicians. There are some barriers, um, time and the availability of free information, and respondents prefer um, training opportunities and attending journal clubs um, over other ways of becoming uh, overcoming barriers. So. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you are in veterinary practice and there is and there are offers, um, not only um, within your practice, but if you're part of a practice group, please, please, please let your vets do join in. Give them time to join in if they've possibly got time. This is this is the way we can help to make sure that this um, this philosophy grows within the industry. So some future work, of course, as Sarah pointed out. Something that we, we found is, yes, we've got this idea of perceptions from vets about what clients think, but we need the client's point of view as well to, to, to validate that. And also um, possibly some case studies of, of the business successes between practices that do practice EBVM and that don't. So just um, to close off with some acknowledgements, of course the RCVS knowledge with a generous support, not only financial support, but support support um, in, do, in, in taking on this project. Um, I'd also like to um, acknowledge our co-investigator. Of course, Sarah and I were speaking today, but Graham Milligan, um, who's, pres who's um, Vice Principal of Clinical Services at the RVC, has been um, instrumental in helping with us. All the, survey um, all the survey and interview participants. Um, we're very, very grateful to um, organisations SPIVs, Vets Now, Medivet, Goddard's Veterinary Group, Vets for Pets, Companion Care, the RCVS, RCVS Knowledge, and also the RVC Marketing Department for circulating the details of our survey. We found it really tough, guys. We found it really, really, really tough to, to, to recruit our 407 survey participants. Um, and there might be people who are in the audience who are a bit cross with us for having too many um, small animal practitioners, but I tell you what, it was tough. And anybody who's, who helped us out is so, so, so much appreciated. So I'm Liz Jackson. This is my um, email address. I'd be um, here for the, uh, Sarah and I here for the rest of the conference. Um, we'd be all too happy to speak to you um, um, about this. I've got the references to those funny little papers that started us off and um, yeah, with Brian's permission we'll take some questions. Thank you very much. <laughs>